couple with two kids wanting to do something that highlights the power of friendship and what it means to be in the company of true friends. We're going to move our society away and out of the loneliness epidemic and into a friendlier, happier world. Welcome to Our Friendly World. Better. Stronger. Together. Welcome back, everyone. Hello. Guess who? Matt. Guess who's here, everybody? Barry Lane is back. Our beautiful friend Barry is back. Hi, Barry. Welcome back. Hi. Barry, before we start, so Barry, for those of you who don't know, this is Barry Lane, a very special friend of ours, a family friend. Barry is a writer, songwriter, singer. He travels around all over to talk about kindness, teach kindness, all of it. He's all about the kindness he's about love he is seriously the most loving person everyone this is barry lane barry can you also let everyone know how they can see your work find out about your work how they can reach you before we start oh the simplest is forcefieldforgood.com that's my songs for children and and uh or or barrylane.com too i'm working on that website but, but that will lead there too and you're also hearing Rishi in the background, Barry's yeah. <laughs> cute dog. They're in the studio. Yeah. We're in the middle of a major, major snowstorm. And I can see your breath in your studio, Barry. <laughs> it's so cold over where you are. Yeah. Uh, well, he's really, he's, it looks like he's a dog, but he's really here just for heat. <laughs> heat purposes. <laughs> he doesn't realize it, but he's a hot water bottle. Today we're going to be talking about something I'm really, really bad at. And go figure. We have a podcast and we have guests on. But one of the things I don't like to do ever is to ask questions of people. I can ask lots of questions when it comes to academics or questioning authority, stuff like that. But when it comes to having someone in front of me, I feel so uncomfortable asking questions because I feel like the few times that I did ask questions, the harshness came like, how dare you ask? It's none of your business. I don't know. I just, I have this fear of being yelled at. So even on podcasts, I don't, if you've all noticed, I don't interview people like that. I don't ask questions, but I do think that it's one of the keys to friendship is to asking questions. I personally am not brave enough to do it. So I do other things to make someone feel comfortable and feel special. And I think that's one of the things that questions do is it allows for the person in front of you to feel special. You're in a way putting a beautiful light on them, like a spotlight, not in a spotlight like they're like being interrogated, but like a beautiful light that puts them on stage to let them know that they're the very special person in the room that has the stage to express themselves, to have them be whoever they are, to I guess give of themselves and maybe I've asked people who don't want to give and that's why I get the reactions I get from people is I go after maybe the ones that are not as open. I don't know. I'm going to need I'm going to need everybody's help here. So, but I'm thinking if we like when people ask me questions, I'm just an open book so I actually love questions, mm -hmm. but I like it when people point things out and they ask me the who, what, where, when, and hows of whatever that I'm about. It's totally fine with me. But going back again to reiterate, I just think asking questions of one another is an art. It's an art that I'd like to learn. What do you guys think? Barry, Matt, what do you all think? I think it's interesting. I've just been listening to your, your talk and I think... Maybe you don't, maybe it, the question is not whether we ask questions, but whether we find, finding questions, you know, helping people find questions. And I think that's what you do. You help people find questions in themselves. 
Sometimes asking can seem like an assault. There was an episode of Fraser Crane where Fraser started dating someone who was Jewish, and, and Niles was teaching him how to talk Jewish. And one of the things he would say was, "You answer a question with a question." <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was trying to think of an example of how to do it, but it's sort of like, uh, how, you know, uh, how are you today? Why do you want to know? Oh. Ouch. So you never really get an answer? <laughs> well, I think it's more like there's a kind of a, a nudginess to answering questions. That's almost like when I ask questions of our oldest. It feels like a wrestling match because I'm just trying to get some kind of an answer. Oh, yeah. Good luck asking and, questions of teenagers. Oh, my right? God. I can't get one. I can't get a concise, coherent answer. It's all elusive. And, and it's like I have to ask the same question multiple times. Well, maybe we have to start with things that we notice, you know. Wow, that what you're wearing looks amazing. It's beautiful. That what 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 color is that? How did you find that? But see, if I asked that, I'm sure someone would say or would think, "Well, I don't want to tell you where I found my sweater." Because what you're going to get it too, you know what I'm saying? I don't well, know. Hold so on, hold on. Ask. Psychologists have actually noticed that. Yes. What? It it can be in some cases people see questions as assaults. Yes, as you stated. Absolutely. Personally and <laughs> professionally, because I did a little bit of homework on this, the best questions lead to stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I taught at University of New Hampshire. You know how at the end of a class they always have like they have the students evaluate the teacher and they give them some kind of form and, mm-hmm. and the forms would ask very specific questions like what did you learn anything in this class what did or, you learn yeah or right. what did you learn describe in detail or whatever or, or it would be even even more particular than that was the teacher well prepared <laughs> you know it's the kind of things that uh, and so we had this guy that was head of the English department he said. He said, you get the same, you actually, your questions give you the answer. Was he well prepared? Yes. No. You know, they actually lead you to the answer. He said, why not just have a simple thing like this, a question like this? What went on in this class? And that was the only, so that was at the top of the page, a total blank page with what went on in this class. And wow, they got so much more varied responses and more authentic responses because people just thought uh, found the questions in themselves to ask themselves well we did this and oh what happened that day oh yeah we did that and and so that open-ended questioning leads to so much better and more individual response there was a movie with jack nicholson uh, directed by uh, michelangelo antonioni called the passenger and he, I forget what the movie was about, but the plot, it's, it's a very avant-garde art kind of movie. The, one of the characters was a journalist, and he was interviewing this man from an African tribe. And he asked a question, and the tribal leader turned to him and said, Your questions tell me much more about you than my answers would ever tell you about me wow right and that's that's because of a self-centered i think question interviews are spooky things which is something i thought about because an interview is an interrogation is is how it's seen like i'm sorry a job interview specifically it's like an interrogation (laughs) it's like what do you know what how can you help us without them (laughs) revealing very much about themselves because certainly in that environment the interviewer wants to keep control of the entire situation. They don't want the interview to go off the rails in any way, shape, or form. And a newspaper journalist probably has a similar enough agenda to that, but they're, they're willing to open up a bit more, I think. I mean, even if you get a terrible response, going away from interviewing and having even someone that's very close to you that you're asking questions of, I feel like... The closer you are, you may be set up to get uh, all kinds of fire coming back at you for asking a question that is coming from a good place. For example, I asked a very good friend when we first got married. We both got married at the same time. And, you know, everybody's like, when are you going to have babies? When are you going to have a kid? (laughs) Oh, dear. And so I knew not to ask that question. But on this particular day... 
we had spent all day together and we were talking about everything from marriage and everything because we both got married at the same time. And I very innocently asked her, so are you guys thinking of having kids? You know, because I was leading to like, what's up with all these questions, you know, like, and yeah, come to think of it just between us, are you thinking of having kids? And the wrath that I got back to this day, I think, I think the, that was the last time I actually asked her questions. Like, I don't ask her questions because seriously, the, the amount of venom that came back at me. And she, so she's like, I'm pure venom. But basically she said, fine, I'll tell you, but don't you ever ask me again. <laughs> And, but but what what happened was as time went on, I realized in fact that was a big deal for for her, and they were having problems, I guess. And so, in her reaction, instead of being offended, I should have had the space to go, "Wow, you're um, wow, she's really upset about this. This is definitely a sore spot. Something's going on." As opposed to me thinking, I'm such a dumbass. I shouldn't have asked. I'm so nosy. Whatever. Like, thinking of myself as a hateful person, you know, a nosy person. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, I took it. Well, yeah, I think sometimes you don't know where that person's. It's like you're talking a different language and they're, they're hearing a different thing inside themselves. I was on a plane once and I, this guy sitting next to me was a wealthy cattle merchant you know he said i, I own like three thousand acres in montana whatever so i said well, how many cows do you have <laughs> you know it's like normal question and he looked at me he said sir would you ask somebody how much money they have in the bank <laughs> wow Wow. I yes, I would, sir. So no. how about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me that, too. I want to know that, too. But that's the, <laughs> same, that's the same thing I'm talking about, Barry. Yeah, that's a totally innocent question. How many cows do you have? Like, how much, like, how, what is that like? It, it's, it's a totally innocent question. I would never yeah. equate that to money, but then if I think about it, going back to tribes and everything, each cow is worth a certain amount. That's your yeah. wealth. Yeah. And, and the yeah. same goes yeah. for this rancher, too. But but that's just it. I, I honestly, God, I I enjoy being in that naive place. And I enjoy being in that quote-unquote ignorance You space. know what? Because no one really, like, yells at you. Exactly. Because you're because so tall I'm and I'm so mean. sweet. I'm lovely. See, Matt looks mean. <gasps> so. um, <laughs> that's actually a good way. I found when I get stopped by the police, it's it's a good way to not get a ticket. Is if you could ask them a question before they talk to you, is this or whatever? I don't know. How fast do you, do you know why I stopped you? How do you answer that question? You don't, right? You're supposed because to because you wanted to have a chat. Because you thought I looked interesting. I'm, I'm no, not but sure, you're but right. I've Maybe. Yeah. Maybe we yeah. should ask them, hi, officer, how are you? <laughs> yeah. Turn it around. How are you? Make them human. Oh, yeah. that's the best thing to do. Yeah, the best thing to do. Actually, once shook hands with <laughs> this is it's probably something when I think about it afterwards, I realize a lot of it is white privilege and stuff like that because... You don't get that kind of leeway. Sometimes when you have different color skin in a situation like that. One that I've used before that was actually real. I was looking for an elementary school when I stopped it. I'm so glad that you stopped me. Can you tell me where, where this school is? I've been looking for it for half an hour. <laughs> and we're supposed to work with the kids there today. And, you know, and then afterwards he said, oh, you, you know why I stopped you? <laughs> oh, no. Because uh, you went through a stoplight too fast or whatever. And, and then he said, yeah, the school's over there. You know, it helped him to see himself as a public servant rather than a, a, a cop who was enforcing a law. You know, he was helping me. But it was authentic, too. I was trying to get to the school. So. You're right, Barry. That happened to me, too, once. I was in L.A., and this was before phones. So this was with traveling with a Thomas guide. 
in an area of LA I'd never been to before. Mm -hmm. And because I, I was lost, I was running late. I was totally freaked out because I seriously didn't know where I was and I didn't want to be late. And I turn, I, I made a right on a, a, a street because you know how you drive and you drive and you can't find a way to turn right ever? Or sometimes. So like yeah. one crept up on me, so I turned right right away. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't realize there was a cop behind me and he pulls, you know, then he, he like, is like, whoop, whoop. I'm like, oh no. So as soon as he pops over, I'm about to start crying because I'm just so stressed out. Right, because you're late. Like even more now because now lost, I have a cop. And now you've got a cop. And so as soon as he came near, I'm like, help, I'm lost. <laughs> <laughs> Damsel in distress. And you know what? It helped. Because he realized, like, he realized I was a human, that I meant yeah. no harm. I was not drunk, I were, you know. And uh, so anyway, he's like, do you know why I stopped you? And I'm <laughs> like, I don't know. like a drunk lost person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But then he's like, you turned way too fast on that street. I didn't get a ticket, and I don't remember what else transpired in that conversation. But, A, there was no ticket. But, B, he actually became human and one time there was like inhumane officer an inhumane officer that pulled me over at lax and i was so scared and this was around 9 11 or after so i was especially like on guard and i'm sure he was too looking at me as a middle eastern person i don't know but i pulled over to the left so far that this officer had to walk through a bush to get to my window. <laughs> oh, dear. Because, you know, LAX, everything's on the right. And then you have those bushes on the left. I don't know if they still have them. But he, he had to wrestle through like a bear <laughs> to get to my window. And I was crying. I was so upset because I didn't want to go to the airport. I, you know, for those of you who know me, don't ever ask me to pick you up or take you to the airport. And I had to do that for a friend after I had explained specifically, like emphatically, don't ask me to take you to the airport. Just get a shuttle. Gosh. So anyway, so I was doubly upset. And here I am getting, a, and I got a huge ticket too, by the way. It was hundreds. At the airport, if you get a ticket, it's terrible. Oh, dear. Anyway, but his first question was, what's wrong with you? Because <laughs> I was crying. What's wrong with you? Yeah. And then well, I, I gee, said, it turned out to be a great day, Ossifer. <laughs> like, you pulled me over. What did I do? <laughs> when you, you expect happiness? And I, to this day, I don't remember what he pulled me over for. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. but For a couple hundred dollars. But I don't know. Anyway, back to questions. Yes. So I diverge. Diverged. Well, I would I would say that you know in in not the case of the guy who wrote you the ticket, but in those other two cases, I mean, definitely you stole the initiative, you stole the key, you had yourself reframed Hold not as a up. rule breaker, but as just a person. Yeah, you can you explain to everyone what key? We're not talking about key that lets you into a door. So key martial arts energy. So somebody comes at you, like, let's say, to hurt you, to hit you, to whatever, either you're not there or basically it's a technique. You make it so what they're doing, they, they feel self-conscious about maybe on some level. You basically cut them off. So basically, yes, you cut their key, you cut them off, you, you yeah, destroy you, their energy, as it were. You can cut off their, their anger, energy. you can cut off, it comes in different ways. Right, so, yeah, Fawn loves to describe this as, you know, can you imagine if there's, like, two world leaders sitting at a table and they're arguing with each other? Not two, like a whole bunch of them. And then somebody walks in with a pink box, which ostensibly is filled with pastries? Yeah, no matter what country you're Everybody's going to want to know. It doesn't matter where in the world you're from, it's always the pink box that has pastries in it. That everything will stop, all the fighting will stop, because who who doesn't get happy at the mm. sight of a... I'm sorry, now I know what the pink box actually... I was going to name a bakery <laughs> the pink box, because this is what it was... The idea was the pink box, and like it's a peace offering, right? Right. I had no idea it meant vagina. Because no you put any two words together, and it means a... <laughs> A human's body part. But it like, doesn't really matter. I was going to say, who doesn't get happy over the sight of a pink box? Well, you know? honestly, I think it's curiosity. 
Do you think? Yes. No, no, Curi- no curiosity is key. No, I'm sorry, but someone can walk in with like a black box and they'll think that there's a grenade in there. They're not going to be like, ooh, what's but that? But their attention They're... is still drawn to it. Curiosity. Yeah, but I'm saying the pink box makes everyone go, oh, it's snack time. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, like back to being a kid. Well, be, uh, back to being a kid. I think that's a great metaphor mm-hmm. for like when, if you watch news today, you know, with all the conflict going on in the Middle East, especially, but also the news journalists, if you actually looked into what they were doing, it was like, how can I make this fight worse? <laughs> if you actually look at their questions that they're asking, oftentimes they're not questions that are aimed at the pink box thing, the, the, the peace or, or kindness they're aimed at, well, I'll, you haven't condemned something that you did, or mm-hmm. she hasn't condemned something that he did, or, and they're looking for this sort of moral indignation and self-righteousness to draw that out of people. And, and there's a lot of situations where, yeah, what you did wasn't right. And then you get into history. Where did history start? And you know, that kind of thing. And uh, you started it. What if that journalist, they probably not have high ratings but maybe not maybe they would if they actually said let's get beyond the who started it thing and get to where we're gonna how we're gonna live together and find the sweet spot where our lives overlap with each other and what we want for our children and our grandchildren um the seventh generation i agree with you there barry but traveling and photographing different areas, especially areas that have conflict, you're always surrounded by people who control that area. So I wonder if behind the camera that we're not seeing are the ones that are part of the fighting. So they're controlling the questions that you're asking and you're at their mercy where they tell you what to do. You have absolutely, your your life is in their hands. It may not look like it when oh, you're yeah. looking at the oh, picture. Yeah, yeah but... I, was, I meant more like uh, Pierce Morgan or these uh, kind yes. of shows that yes. are on the internet. Right, right. And uh, that are they're looking, spoiling for fights. Well, and, yeah, and, it's, uh, it's clickbait. It's, you know, yeah. we, we really want to get the soundbite that says up is down. We want to get you to admit to something. And so how do we draw that out of you? Well, we stress you out. Well, we get you emotional. We get you saying, yeah, you don't understand. It's and then we got you. And then we've got our soundbite. We've got our Pulitzer. We've got our 10 million views. We've got our whatever success looks like. And it's so all short term. Nobody's going for the long. Nobody's playing the long game. Everybody's playing the this quarter, this week, this month game so they need to figure out the incendiary and if they get somebody on an incendiary question then that gives them more credibility and then they can get maybe higher up the food chain who knows yeah but then mr rogers he once said something i thought that was profound he said isn't it much more interesting and human and, and powerful to watch somebody trying to figure out their problems rather than watch people shoot each other he was talking about tv violence and mm-hmm. stuff how much more dramatic it is and interesting. And I just think they don't even try it because they're so hooked into what, what Matt's talking about. You know that They're so hooked into the adrenaline feed, as it were. Yeah. Well, let's take it back to taking the spotlight and putting it on the person. So let's, I mean, we can't control the media. We can't really, we can't. It's owned by huge heads of corporations. We can't really control that. It's like controlling the leaders of nations at this point. But we can have a way to maneuver one-on-one relationships. Meeting strangers, meeting someone you've met for the first time, or a friend even that you've known for a while and asking questions. And the response may not be easy, but let's talk about how we can maneuver what are some good questions i think barry probably knows best because i think like you said matt kids have the most beautiful questions well kids ask the innocent questions. yes but they their questions lead to conversation their questions absolutely do lead to conversations but they're not but i don't remember what questions they ask 
Well, see, I the questions that they asked me was, "Why are you so short?" Well, and, and that, but that, that's those just are it. fighting words. But I, I don't but, want... but they asked from such a curious, naive place, and that to me is the key. That, yeah, so true. But my question is not because to me that's just a fact. You know, because kids don't have a point of reference. They don't understand. Uh, like I asked, oh my God, I asked an uncle. We were at his house. We'd never visited him before. And he was showing me off his really cool organ that blah, blah, blah. And I asked him how much it costs. And my parents were flabbergasted. Like, <gasps> I didn't even understand that wasn't a good question There's to ask. There's nothing wrong with that. I remember I taught a school. Barry just said, can't ask a cattleman how many cattle he's got. <laughs> It's, it, you know, because you're asking him how much money he has. Asking somebody how much a, an organ costs is, is, is playing on the same field. I think that's very smart, though, to ask that question. I liked the how many cows do you have. I know. So did I. The thing is, like, but that, but that can lead to conversation yes. right there. Right? And, and it did. Now we all understand that cattlemen no, 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 no. view their wealth as how many cattle they've got. Yeah, but conversation <laughs> with that person, not between us years later well yeah but he got that right in that moment the one time that i did teach a class of kindergartners i went in to talk about my photography work as a photographer and i was asked how much money do you make and how do you make it and i thought that was so brilliant because going through university and everything we never asked that question. We should have asked that question. Mm -hmm. But here is a five-year-old asking that question. Yes. I'm like, wow, you are a genius. Good for you for asking that question. That's awesome. And then I told them, you know, my way. But, wow, that was brilliant. But, I mean, if it was your parents, they would probably get upset. I think, I think that's what hinders us is, like, older people when we're young or if we're young at heart someone saying you can't ask that question how dare you the gall you know and it, it closes us off yeah. and it closes us off from having good conversations and meaningful interactions it also closes you off from doing things differently and like uh, i think all design begins with childlike questions in the yes. joke about steve jobs you know one of, one of my favorite stories is when he was in for his liver transplant he was under the anesthesia and they put one of those oxygen sensors on his finger and he, and he looked at it he pulled it off and he said to the nurse hand me a couple of more prototypes in about a week and see <laughs> it was talking about how it should it's so poorly designed mm. it better and i think that kind of that place of innocence is where all the most innovation and thinking comes from real thinking comes from it's one of the tragedies of humanity is that people don't die quick enough and the younger generation have a chance to rise to the top without pretending like they're the older generation <laughs> wow sometimes I, sometimes I think that that's a real problem you know, actually Steve Jobs is a good example he talks about in his speech at Stanford, that death is the great innovator. The thing, because people die, that people can take over who are, have maybe a bigger idea. I really have faith in generation, whatever they're calling them, Y, X, Z, whatever they call them. But people who are looking at the world with fresh eyes, they don't see climate change as somehow uh, a plot against oil. <laughs> companies you know they see it they, wait a minute this is we actually believe in scientists and what they're telling us einstein said you can not get to a different place by asking the same questions that uh, the people who got you into the jam asked you have to ask new questions and that comes yes. out of childlike wonder and that's just it zen mind beginner's mind is something that they talk about how you should try and walk into every situation with fresh eyes absolutely and that's indeed something I was reading in a book that I'm hoping we'll talk at some length on later in our podcast. There was a sequence of questions. These kids were allowed to ask their teacher anything they wanted. And their teacher was a female teacher. And so the first thing they asked is, are you married? And she said, not anymore. And the kids took a moment and then they said, do you still love him? And she said, yes. Two questions. 
or three questions, whatever it was. Oh my God, cut to her immediate core from that naive, from that Zen mind, beginner's mind, asking new questions. Nobody had ever asked her that before. And the kids in their raw naivete did it. And that's just it. It's, it's, It's almost like, you know, all those famous sayings, you know, dance like no one's watching. Love like you've yeah. never been hurt. That's kind of how you have to walk into questions. And some people are going to be meanie fofinis. And that's kind of who they are. And that's on them. That's not on you. And getting past that point, building those calluses. I have a question. Yes. Do you think that that's why? It, because when you asked about the divorce thing and everything, when you just talked about that, it, it reminded me of someone we knew, a neighbor. Remember, all she did was talk about her ex-husband. All she did. Yes. And you said there's obviously still a charge there. And that charge could be love. Who knows? Um, Even though there was trauma, all of that stuff. But my question is, do you think that's why certain people repeat the same story over and over and over again? Is because they're looking for someone to ask them questions and so they can talk about it. It it might be. Absolutely. We love talking about bad stuff that happens to us, just almost to purge it. I had some challenging news happen to me a while ago, and I found, you know, and something I was thinking about for our topic today, but I found an impartial acquaintance to just dump this on. And in the process of dumping it on him, I lifted the burden from me, but me, he didn't care. He doesn't know me. He probably has already forgotten about it. But he took my burden for a second and then just whisked it away from me because it's good to talk about these things. It's good to talk about bad stuff that happens just to bleh, spit it out, get it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes yeah. you just need a there, there, or here you go. Like, you know, like. And not even that, just an impartial observer, somebody from the outside. They listen to your side of the facts and say, Meh, yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> and yeah. that's it. I see you. I feel you. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. But what, I, what, yes. When you were talking about the teacher who got asked the questions by the kids, I work with kids a lot. Mm-hmm. One of the lessons I do is about motivation, developing a character, starting a story from a character's point of view rather than the plot. You know, this is going to happen, and the characters mm-hmm. are like chess that you move through a plot. So we start with Cinderella. I always think the two characters made of two things, trouble and dreams. And so I'd say, what's Cinderella's trouble or what's her dream? And then then we get to the more advanced part of the story, which is what they want, which is trickier because oftentimes, oftentimes that if Cinderella doesn't want to go to the ball and marry a prince, she just wants to find a new piece of string for her string collection. It's not going to be as interesting a story. Right. Know? Yes. Got to have to want something, you know. <laughs> so so I say to the kids, what does Cinderella want? And one response might be she wants to marry the prince, the king, or whatever. No, she wants to get married or whatever. And then this is the question I found that really works. I said, well, but what does she really want? And then a the little first grader put her hand up. She says, she wants to be loved, you know. Boom. You know? And at that point, and then I realize there are two dreams. There's the outer dream that you want, and then there's the inner, inner dream, the one that, the real thing, you know. And and we so often, what is called the American dream is mistaking the outer one for the inner one. You know, like if I get all this stuff, I will be loved. You know, everyone will love me. When the reality is, love starts. The inner dream is the more powerful one. And I think one way to look at questions is the quest part. I had a chapter in a book once called the Putting the Quest Back in Questions. And the quest being to have that inner quest rather than just facts. There was a show when I was a kid called Dragnet. And the police officers would go around saying, just the facts, bam. <laughs> they just wanted <laughs> Just the facts. And uh and that's why I think uh, Pierce Morgan could ask the question like, so how are we going to actually find real peace when it seems you're so entrenched with each other? Don't you ever think about your grandchildren? Don't, don't you? If they could ask questions that were actually about deeper motivation rather than a clickbait type of inciting argument questions, I think it would be a good show. You know, let's, you know, that would be a good show, I think, because it would be like, 
why is this guy asking us such weird questions? <laughs> because the only time I've ever seen that in the Middle East situation, which is on my mind a lot lately, I have a cousin over there, is that when they have women asking the questions and not men, women, and not women who think like men or are just acting like men, but they're thinking about children. I remember once it was powerful, real, not even a, it's not even a debate, because when you call it a debate, it's like a game where you're trying to get to an ending, a winner and a loser. But it was a discussion of, of Israeli and Palestinian women talking about what they wanted for their children and their life together. Those kinds of situations lead to the kinds of questions that get to that inner motivation, like what do we really want? Not what somehow we're kind of supposed to want based on our side of an argument. It's hard to get there. I call it the sweet spot in an argument where both the interests of both, it's a Venn diagram, where the interests of both. With kids, I have them make a Venn diagram. They actually put their arms up, one kid on one side, one on the other. And then they, they make, they overlap. And in the overlap, I have a kid stick their head through and smile in a sweet way. <laughs> and that's the sweet spot nice. in the argument. Mm -hmm. That's the part, the spot of the argument where no side can argue against it because it's our common, it's the pink box of pastry, which is literally the sweet spot, the thing that where we overlap in our needs and wants. The what do you really want? Everyone wants to be loved. I mean, if you don't want to be loved, then you're probably uh, uh, have a real issue a pathology or something you know that's uh yeah. that makes you antisocial in some way and even those people want to be loved i have a song i wrote called the thief fly full from it's about the giant's point of view you know <laughs> uh, right right because people just people. come in they steal the golden goose they destroy his castle they yeah, no, the guy's like uh he's a victim and and it, it may just be that he was just waiting for his girlfriend to come home or come over the next day or something right he's gonna get married in a week yeah yeah when you start thinking that way all of a sudden it's hard to imagine somebody that doesn't have these motivations these real deep needs and the villains of the world I mean, it's easy to see the villain as somehow other, you know, but yeah, inhuman or other. But like, yeah, thinking about that, I in a way I'm having trouble with this conversation we're having right now, because I think that when reporters go ask questions of people that are in the midst of war, again, another thing that I've, I've noticed is that. We're asking normal people why they're in conflict. They are not in conflict. It's other powers that are creating yeah. the conflict. We're, we're not asking the right people. I think those questions I'm very uncomfortable with. Like I would never ask those questions because nobody wants to have their children, their family members killed. So to ask why do you hate someone, I would much rather bring it to a level within community when you meet someone, what are some questions you can ask to develop a friendship? Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Because people yeah. don't control politics. It's people that you don't see that control, not even politics, but control everything that's going on. The hatred really, in, most in almost all the cases, comes from people that you never see. Yeah, true. So... When we walk into a room or we're on the streets and you want to get to know someone, well, how would a kid, I don't remember anymore. And I feel like our kids didn't have that normal, uh, our kids aren't normal. <laughs> they were never normal. Like, like their, their language wasn't normal. They were using incredibly big words because that's all they heard around the house. So they walked around like old people talking. <laughs> Like older people, like, like adults. old people, like adults is what I'm trying to say. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. And their questions seems like totally like the questions we would ask each other at, at home. Right. Right. Because there was no village. We didn't have a bunch of people that we were around. So all the kids knew was us. Right. Mm hmm. So, Barry, what I mean, you're around kids a lot. What nuggets can you give us on how they ask questions when they first get to know someone or even if they've known a person for a while 
I know yeah, we come talk we we talk about innocence, but it's like telling me how to have fun. I'm like, I don't know how to have fun. How do you have fun? How do you ask questions? What right. kind of questions? See, well, I think it's not a question. It's not a checklist. Uh, I can tell you an example that I, I do this lesson with kids where they write the, the lead to each other's biography, uh, the beginning, and they start by asking questions, just open-ended questions. And they might be like a, a list of questions like, where were you born and those kinds of things. And when you tell them not to write them down, uh, but you just start asking. And Because what happens if kids will write it, make a checklist and write a bunch of questions down, They'll actually go through the checklist. Okay, born in Cleveland, do this, and, and and all of a sudden, and they're looking down at their pad. Right. And, and so the key is to be like Terry Gross or somebody. If you listen to really good interviewers, what they do is they may ask a few questions here and there, but they listen deep, and they look for the question that comes in the moment, out of that childlike curiosity of the response from the person and that's the quest uh, and because that's all I really want to teach them is to value and recognize that whatever it is uh, you know in fact one of the examples I give is the, the president of, uh, at a press conference where where they know who's going to ask the questions <laughs> and what press secretaries hate is the oftentimes is the follow-up question so the reporter Mm -hmm. The Washington Post doesn't ask the question he's that's on his checklist, but he asks the one that everyone wants to know about. And that's an example, maybe not the best example, but it's an example of that instinct for being curious. And, and that's one of the things I noticed about your kids, because I've met your kids, is that they're in the room. Uh, sometimes when you go to places, sometimes when I meet kids and classrooms are this way, the, the, the best classrooms with the best teachers the kids are so much like, 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 very supercharged adults who are actually because adults aren't this way. Very uh, curious and welcoming and sort of uh, just there. They show up. They're in the room. You know, they're they're not just kind of like, oh, there's a bunch of there's a new guy who who he is, <laughs> or whatever. You know. It's just like they want to know. It's a joyous thing. It's really joy, I think, is what it is. The joy of questioning. Yes. Uh, yes, very much so. I was, oh my goodness, and welcome to taking this down a strange turn. But I was at the gas station. I hang out with the guys at the gas station, and it's a weird world. And so these are people who don't know my stories. And honestly, mm -hmm. I don't even know what stories I know and don't know anymore. But we went down a rabbit hole the other day because I completely forgot something that had happened to me when I was like 15. And I told the story. I told the canned story. But then they kept asking questions, making statements, drawing it back, and, and really made it into a big, curious ball of stuff. And it made for a much more interesting conversation. Something I forgot. I was actually in going to cross myself now. I was actually in a school shooting. I forgot. What? Exactly. I've never even told you this story. No. I was at a football game in uh, Compton. I played in the high school band. So we were at the football game. We were on the away side of the stadium and a shot rang out. Mm -hmm. Qualifies as a school shooting. Right. So anyways, wow. And the follow-up questions, the complete like, really? What? Huh? And the whole story. You know, it was it was that kind of an experience. It wasn't a here's my story and let's move on. It was like, yeah, because it, and honestly, I think part of it was because this experience is so foreign to everyone else who was in the room. There were no assumptions to be made. And that's the real trick. And that's the Zen mind, beginner's mind again, is you don't make any assumptions about it just because you were in a similar situation doesn't mean you were in a similar situation. Right. And because it was so foreign, again, everybody laid aside their egos when they asked me questions. They weren't asking me questions that made themselves look smart. They were asking questions that were questions. 
Because that's the other problem I think we have with people who question us is either they're interrogating us or they want to show off how smart they are. And it's also because they don't want the conversation to go anywhere that's uncomfortable. Because as you said, as Barry explained, it is you want to be in the moment and genuinely listen and the questions come up. Much like Ali was talking to us about improvisation. It's all about the improv. But... It made me think of your family. Every time we got together, they had a whole list of questions. What have you been reading? No, but I could tell that they had a meeting about it, about what questions they're going to ask at what point. So we would all sit around and then it was like they had memorized them and they would just blurt out the questions. You could tell this was a premeditated conversation and... It's not real. Like they just want it to go a certain way. So we don't, I'm assuming, so we don't veer into uncomfortable territory. Right. Which doesn't work for me. Right. I'll always take it to the uncomfortable. Right. And, And that's just it. I think we need to start feeling more comfortable with things that are uncomfortable because... Again, it's it's so funny how this goes to the last, maybe the last podcast we did. Uncomfortable is what makes us grow. Right. Yeah. Well, it's also about allowing. One of the things I know, I went to live in England when I was about 23 for a while. In pubs there, as an American, I found all my stories were kind of packaged the way Matt was describing. I had the sound bite already, and I. And I'd say it, and they'd be, he'd be sitting around a table, these guys would be there with their big pints of beer, and, they, and they'd just sort of wait. It was like, why is he telling such a short story? <laughs> and there was kind of a, it actually helped me to expand my, it, was, it had a much bigger attention span around me, so it allowed me, just like a potted plant that's, that's root-bound, uh, to expand my stories more, just by their silences and their kind of, waiting uh, and there's a thing in teaching called wait time i don't know if you've heard that term before but the best teachers know about it there's three wait times the first is where a teacher waits for a kid to answer because if you, if you watch like movies and stuff teachers don't even do that right billy and then they go to the next person and they kind of like they're kind of like these master teachers who are pointing drawing stuff on the board and whatever but the great teachers they wait for the kid to actually say something and, and that's the first wait time. And then the second wait time is to wait long enough for that kid to finish saying what they say and then leave a silence so that another student can respond in the class. Mm. Uh, that's the second wait time. And then the, the, the third wait time is like waiting for another kid to respond for the class. So we talked about how can, how can we make the uncomfortable silence comfortable in a classroom if it's a classroom where that's not true there always be one kid that the a student kind of kid that wants to tell the right answer all the time and break up the silence you know but in a classroom that's truly authentic then you have this amazing thing that happens is which is that there's no hierarchy the communication isn't between the teacher and the student like bzz, 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 back and forth it's with each other. It's a hive type mentality that develops. That is totally true. That's totally yeah. true. Like, have you noticed when there's three people and you're talking about something and someone says something like, oh, I remember, okay, three of us, we were talking and it was on Zoom. <laughs> we see each other's faces, you know, like all of our reactions. And one of our friends got a candy bar and the candy bar in England, it's called Magnum. No, it was, and it was an ice cream bar. Ice cream bar, Magnums, Magnum. Yes. And it was an extra large. Yes. And so I looked at my other friend in the silence. Cause after, after our friend described the extra large Magnum, she can't wait to bite into it. Mm-hmm. I just looked at my other friend and like, kind of like <laughs> <laughs> rolled your eyes. No, I didn't roll my eyes. I looked at her with like one eye, you know, like how you're like, mm-hmm. you know, like, well, it has really thick we, chocolate. It's dark. It's but, nice vanilla. No, but oh, it's a that, lovely bar. In that silence, <laughs> in that silence, there was major communication happening on one other side. And then there was more silence. And then we started laughing so hard. And our friend with the ice cream was like, what's going on? 
And so, we, you know, the conversation took a different turn and then we all were rolling with laughter. But yeah, it was because there was that allowance for that silence. But but there was so much happening within that silence. You know, that was things were said. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I. I forget that. You're absolutely right, Barry, because I'm one of those people that doesn't like silence, but that totally transforms me right now, just listening to you, Barry. Absolutely. That's the silence I can get behind. It's like popcorn, the heat, the oil. The silence is like the heating up of the oil and stuff. It comes out out of silence. Oh, by the way, for those who don't know, in America, magnum is a form of... uh, how do you say prophylactic? Prophylactic. It's a condom. Oh. <laughs> and the fact that it was extra large. So we were laughing at that's what we were laughing at. Because she she was from England and didn't know that that was a condom over here in the US. And that's what we were laughing at. Anyway. <laughs> that's hilarious. So do you have I know you have some notes, Matt. <laughs> I and, do. Yeah, you always like th- want to talk about certain things if you know what subject we're talking about, and then we close the show off, and you're like, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't." Yes, but you know what? We're supposed to be having a conversation, and you know, it's almost it would almost be what is it uh, against the whole idea of the show if I'm like, "Oh yes, I wanted to talk about this, 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 and this." It turns into an interrogation. Oh my god! Do you know what I was just gonna say? Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, well, it got quiet. So, it did. I noticed that. I noticed it got quiet. And so I you were like, uncomfortable. so. Uncomfortable. I thought that was good practice for, but it doesn't work on radio. No, I failed. No, it does work. It does work. I failed. Sorry. You see, you see, I can't, I can't do it. Whoo. All right. Let's have some silence. I just don't know what to say. I hear a plow. (laughs) (laughs) I like it when it's quiet. I have a video. I'll send it. I have the SoundCloud I did of a class writing a song. We wrote a song. I didn't want to say goodbye to them. So I said, let's just write a goodbye song. And we started writing this goodbye song. I just found it on SoundCloud. I forgot I posted about eight years ago or ten years ago, and it was wonderful because of that reason. You could you could feel their ideas coming out of the silence. You could hear it in the silence. Yeah, yeah. It just feels like again, it's the same lesson. It's about improv. It's about. To me, it's about Zen mind, beginner's mind, asking naive questions. It's about taking a genuine interest. And if you don't take a genuine interest, then maybe you shouldn't be talking to this person. I don't know. You know? Sometimes you just need to be with someone. But our whole focus today was how to ask the questions. And the answer is to be spontaneous, not to go in with the questions, not to go in with an agenda, but go in seeing the person and allow them to have space to respond. Yes. And then, which is what Ali was saying. And then ask those questions back in that, you know, are the pieces that you're curious about? Cause I've, I've actually, I've done a myriad of things. I'll hang out with uh, a neighbor and on the face of it, we have nothing in common, but we have interesting far ranging conversations that start from nowhere just because we just start, digging at something. And then I've also had occasions where I've asked somebody a question that I genuinely want an answer to. And I think that they might be able to help me with. There was stuff that happened at work and I was just curious to hear people whose opinions I respected how, and that's maybe the key, uh, people whose opinions I respect and or people who are completely emotionally detached from it. I was wondering what kind of advice they would give me if I asked them that. Mm -hmm. So I did. But again, it requires a certain fearlessness, a certain, yeah, fearlessness is a naivete. And at the end of the day, if this is somebody I'm working with all the time, I'm probably not going to ask a question that could make me look god-awful terrible to work with. But, you know, with those random people in our lives, why not? You know, it, it makes me think of culture, too, that like last time with Ali, 
Ali is a humanitarian clown. As a, as she, oh yeah. But Ali is also an actor, voiceover actor. She works in the film industry. I was going to say it's a cultural thing, but have you noticed that on the East Coast, we get questioned a lot, and that's their way of starting a conversation or to 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 really get to know you. Right. But on the West Coast, we don't ask questions because we don't want to look bad. Right? Kind but not and, nice, nice but not kind. And we don't want to be asked questions because we don't want to look bad. Right. So we just don't, nobody nobody talks. But on the East Coast, it seems like people ask the questions that from a West Coast point of view, you're like, oh, that's incredibly invasive. Why are they asking so many questions of my personal life? And, and but it yet, could be I, like, but, it, but it's totally innocent. Yes. I've always been that way, though. I've always asked questions. You're you know? an anomaly. I would, I would, you know, I am fine asking Barry all about playing the guitar. Oh dear, does that mean I don't know how to play the guitar? Well, shock of shocks. And that's what West Coast people do, especially LA. If you ask questions, they think it's a weak point that you are ignorant. Yes. Which is so, that's but ignorant. But let's be careful not to paint with too broad of a brush. Let's say our experiences right. on the West let's Coast. Let's talk about it in this term. Um, what do you call it? Um, this rank level versus this rank level. You know, like like one friend always wants to be Oh, the, the alpha one. versus the beta? Yes, thank you. That's what I was thinking of. The alpha versus the beta friend, which is an episode we did a long time ago. Right. But they automatically assume you're beta. Yes. And that's a nasty assumption that people have had. Most people that I have seen is that if you are excellent at one thing, you must be excellent at everything. If you are bad at one thing, you must be bad at everything. People don't have an understanding that just because I can catch a football thrown by a professional athlete, that does not mean I'm a Rhodes Scholar. That does not mean we can have a wide-ranging conversation about the political intrigues of Southeast Asia. <laughs> but just because I asked someone, same friend, by the way, with a pregnancy thing, I asked how they baked up high. And forever, for years, she treated me like I don't know how to cook or bake. And finally, and this is a good friend of mine, after decades, I'm like... You know, I was a professional baker way before we met. I was just asking you a question to see how you do it. I had to say it because I was getting on my nerves after all these years <laughs> of being put down in a way. Do you know what I mean? She mm -hmm. always assumed I was beneath her. And it was, it was not just with baking. It was with everything. But I used the baking as a way to say enough. Right. And that's why I wouldn't necessarily ask these types of questions in a work environment, because this is a situation where you have to get along. Ugh. But I still will, actually. I'll still ask technical questions. I, you know, I'm like, oh, are they going to think I'm foolish for asking this? I don't care. So at the risk of becoming a questionable person, uh -oh. <laughs> like a questionable friend, I'm just going to be bold. Like Ali said, be brave, be bold there you in go. our conversations, much like what Barry deals with. The kids are bold and brave. And their questions are totally from the heart, legit. And that's the other part of it. That is where I believe our questions should come from. A genuine sense of curiosity. If you don't care, don't ask. Yeah. And I think a few things that I wanted to say is just briefly. Is that when Matt, when you were talking about your friends that you have nothing in common with, I think when you come from a childlike perspective, there's nobody you have nothing in common with. And you could <laughs> not be more right. You're <laughs> absolutely right. We are all passing on this great, you know, green and blue ball of, yeah. of gas around a sun. Yes, we do have and, a, uh, we have more in common yeah. than we don't. But it's it can be yeah. hard sometimes to find those commonalities. But stories yeah, and, but, uh, and you, conversations yeah. help. And uh, the mer meritocracy and all that stuff that comes from those questions that betray status, like like you're trying to find out somebody's status or whether they're good at something or bad at something. All that is kind of just beyond what the original question is about, which is just wanting to, to connect, you know? 
Well, with that, at the risk of cutting into silence, I am going to say. <laughs> How much dead air can we get into this podcast? That's what I'm trying to do. She's going to edit it out. I don't know. I think I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. <laughs> um, That's where all the questions come from. They come from silence. Point. Anyways. Thank you so much, Barry. Yes, indeed. For being with us. We love you so much. And we love all of you you who are listening. Love you so much, Barry. All right. Well, well, we shall speak in just a few days. And we're always here if you need to talk to us or 